Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Hey, First Geners, welcome back to another episode of the First Gen Hunter Podcast, episode 43 to be exact. And this one I'm trying to squeeze in here right before rabbit season closes in a lot of states uh, where it's still open. Here in Iowa, I guess I shouldn't say a lot of states, the only one I really know of. I know Illinois is already closed, but I know Iowa still has just a few days left. It closes on February 28th and so I'm trying to get this one out for anyone that may still be looking for bunnies. Now the way that we're going to talk about rabbit hunting in this one, we're going to talk about hunting them behind a team of trained beagles, 10 to be exact, and they are led by Todd and Brad from Team Lone Oak out in the great state, the great hunting state of Virginia. They're going to talk to us a little bit about the breed that they use, which are beagles and, and the kind of dogs that they're looking for for the hunt. They're also going to talk to us about the gear needed to keep yourself from donating a couple units of blood to the thorns when you're trying to push around for where these rabbits are holed up at, as well as the actual strategy used for hunting these rabbits. Certainly, hunting with dogs provides a whole new dynamic to your hunt and can greatly improve your chances of success, but it does require you to have access to those dogs. So if you know somebody who has some beagles, whether they've uh, uh, trained them to do so or not, you might want to start looking into either training them, working with them a little bit, or if they are trained, ask if you can join in. Or maybe you'll even find that you're looking for a dog for your family and maybe a beagle would be a great place to start and you could start working on some training with them yourself that's actually how i kind of got into hunting i bought a bird dog because i knew i wanted to hunt pheasants eventually and uh, we kind of learned how to hunt together and it's been an incredibly rewarding experience so i think if you tune into this one you'll feel a little inspired you'll definitely look at rabbit hunting as a much different opportunity than you ever have before most likely and uh, you'll get to hear some great advice from a couple of great guys, Brad and Todd from Team Lone Oak. So with that, let's go ahead and get on to the episode here, episode 43 of the First Gen Hunter Podcast. Well, First Geners, tonight's episode is a little unusual. Why do I say it's a little unusual? Because, well, lots of reasons. First of all, we're talking about rabbit hunting. And uh, although most of us probably uh, did a little bit of rabbit hunting when we were kids, or uh, maybe, uh, uh, you know, if you're an adult onset hunter like myself, maybe that's one of the, the first species you got into hunting. But for the most part, a lot of people don't 
don't hunt a lot of rabbits anymore. And uh, as we're going to talk about in this episode, is, you know, the, the, there's a lot of fun to be had with hunting rabbits and some great food as well and just a, an incredible opportunity. So uh, we're going to talk about that tonight, but also it's kind of unusual because I'm pre-gaming by myself. And why is that? Well, I have some stuff to talk to you about, some good stuff, some, some uh, things that have been happening with uh, um, some of our friends that, with the show here and just kind of catching up with you a little bit and uh, sharing what's been going on with my life in the woods here lately. But uh, we're going to do a little bit of that. But why am I by myself? Well, uh, I don't really have a good reason. <laughs> just kind of how everything's uh, working out this week. Been a busy week. Work has been busy. Um, Brandon's been busy. Uh, we've uh, um, just are kind of in that point in the year where things are starting to warm up a little bit. Been able to be outside this week a little bit. Got to do some shed hunting. And, uh, you know, I'll start right there. Had a great time on Monday evening with my good friend uh, Lucas Fritch. Uh, we work together and uh, um, we enjoy shed hunting together. We've done a little hunting together. Of course, if you've been following along on the First Gen Hunter uh, social media pages, you'll know that uh, I call him Fritch all the time. Fritch and I, we, uh, we found an incredible set of uh, sheds back in January off of a buck that had died and had shed right just prior to uh uh dying and uh uh so we've already we've already got some sheds on the board for this year but uh we went out again on monday and no sheds just a ton of deep snow is even deeper than we we uh had last gotten together and gotten outside back in january we've had i don't know maybe another (laughs) maybe another foot honestly since then just snowed a lot and uh uh, through the rest of January and February and uh, we've had a ton of cold weather here and so the snow is just stuck around but we finally got out and uh, did a little shed hunting in the deep snow uh, didn't find any sheds this time but we did have did have a great time enjoyed seeing uh, some some cool sights you know we saw a lot of bald eagles uh, it was just one of those one of those evenings where uh, the combination of the sun and the snow and the clear blue skies just had some some really nice uh, views as we were hiking around and uh, you know just enjoying those warmer temps and the fresh air just a just a really good time that we had uh, but we also were reminded of the hardship of winter for these critters it is not easy to hack it when it's this cold and you live outside now i am always amazed at what these animals can endure but this year was a tough one uh, we found one dead deer and that goes with uh my uh thing that i say where every year i find five dead deer before i find one antler but um kind of the uh uh reason for that we're not sure but we did find a dead doe and uh um you know maybe i uh maybe i owe some more uh, dead deer carcasses since i found an antler when i found my first deer carcass this year but uh um we also found a couple dead pheasants a couple dead quail i think we even found a dead cardinal that had gotten nailed by probably a hawk or maybe one of those uh, bald eagles and uh um saw a uh raccoon that looked like uh he may have lost much of his tail to frostbite and 
which is, I don't know if that can actually happen or not. They seem to be pretty well insulated, but you never know. It was really cold this winter, and he definitely didn't have all of his tail. But uh, we uh, uh, saw that, and uh, some, uh, uh, just like I mentioned, some of those uh, dead upland birds. And, and uh, you know, it's just, like I was saying, it's a reminder of how tough it can be this time of year, but yet how tough those critters are that make it year after year and uh and survive and you know what on my way home from work today I saw a couple of uh, big mature roosters strutting across the road soaking up the sunshine probably have uh made it over the hump for the worst part of the winter and hopefully will be around uh for next year so it it was a it was a good week this week as far as all that goes i'm hoping to do a little bit more shed hunting by the end of the week and uh you know, hopefully start uh, stacking up some antlers for this year. But I'm not the only one who's been having some cool stuff going on here lately. Uh, our good buddies, some uh, familiar voices here on the First Gen Hunter Airwaves, our friend Noel Gandy uh, from episodes 13 and 33. And uh, Noel, of course, he, as we've talked about many times, is a part of Buck Ventures, The Woodsman. You can see that show on My Outdoor TV. I've already binged the whole two seasons that are available, and I will say this. It is very well done, and uh, there's all kinds of great uh, men and women on that show uh, that are great hunters and uh, just uh, really cool people. I strongly... Uh, encourage you if you haven't checked out that show yet uh, be sure to do so but that's not the reason why i'm talking about noel there's two reasons i'm talking about noel one reason is noel uh is a full-time church planting pastor and he's uh doing a great job of that by as far as i can tell and uh um He's truly passionate about that, as he would say many times over. That is his number one passion. As much as he loves deer hunting, as much as he loves his family, uh, he is he is passionate about his calling uh, to uh, uh, pastor that church down in southwest Iowa. But he also, with some of the time that he has, uh, not that uh, he's got time uh, laying around or anything like that, but he was able to free up some time in his schedule where he's kind of taken on this side venture and he uh um does uh he's starting to uh get into the business of being a real estate agent for uh these recreational properties okay so that's kind of a kind of a new thing that that uh, uh i've been seeing some hunters get into and i just think it's a tremendous opportunity for for guys who are really passionate about it want to get into the outdoor industry a little bit and uh you know have something that they can kind of set their own schedule to and and uh go at their own pace for the time that they have and uh noel obviously is a guy who is passionate about whitetails and he's passionate about helping people and that's what this opportunity is allowing him to do so make sure you head over to go on to facebook and look up noel gandy and then it'll be there'll be a hyphen there and, it'll, and after that hyphen you'll find national land realty so noel gandy national land realty and uh, give his page a follow and check out and see what he's got going if you ever wanted to buy a recreational property here in the great buck state of iowa then uh give uh, Noel a call and uh, see what he can get lined up for you. You know he'll show you how to kill the big ones. I mean, uh, that, that buck he killed back in 19, good grief. I think it was a monster. But uh, killed another nice one this year. Just a guy who loves the woods and uh, 
and is great at uh, getting an arrow on those big bucks. But beyond that, something even more impressive than Noel's biggest buck, even more impressive than his job as a real estate agent, is the fact of what just came out today. If you remember back in episode 13, and again in episode 33, Noel talks a little bit about the the buck affectionately known as Doofus, which is just that possibly the best the best buck name I've ever heard. And it, he is aptly named. If you've seen a picture of Doofus, I think I posted one back in December when Doofus finally ended up being harvested by Noel's son, Charlie. You will agree that that is the perfect name for that buck. Uh, unfortunately for the buck, he uh, had an injury, it looks like, or a deformity where his lower jaw looks to be either broken and dislocated, or uh, I don't think it was just a deformity. I think he was. I think he, he had some kind of uh, injury there. I don't know if he uh, injured it maybe in a fight with another buck, maybe uh, got kicked in the face by another deer or, or cow or something maybe. I don't know. Had to be quite a kick if that's what it was. Maybe he had a bad slip on ice crossing a frozen creek or something. I don't know what happened, but I'm telling you, his face was like pointing in two different directions. And uh, his tongue was hanging out and everything. And, uh, you know, it was was quite the picture to see, of course. And his son actually saw him on trail camera and he's like, that's the deer I want. And uh, so he was chasing after him for a couple years. uh, but the the sad reality of it all was the fact that uh, Doofus um, was unable to uh, really, you know, effectively eat uh, with his, his mouth all messed up like that and everything. So it actually ended up, you know, not only being their target buck for, for Charlie, but Charlie wanted to put him out of his misery too. And, uh, from my understanding, I, I believe it was becoming a bigger problem for him. And, uh, you know, especially with a really hard winter, like what we just had this year, I think it's pretty, uh, pretty clear that doofus wouldn't have, wouldn't have, uh, made it and instead was able to, uh, you know, uh, be, be, uh, put out of his misery in a really quick fashion from a, uh, uh, firearm, and uh, um, Charlie, of course, uh, his son was uh, ecstatic to have a deer, but it gets even better than that. Outdoor life, yes, the outdoor life, the same magazine that I have uh, in my man cave. I got a I got a 1935 edition of Outdoor Life. That's how long it's been around. Even longer than that, it's been around for your grandpa when he was hunting. Okay, and uh, it it is one of the most storied, the most the most iconic outdoor publications. Period. And Doofus made it into outdoor life. Now I, I'm not sure if he's going to be in the actual print magazine, but he definitely made it online on their website. And they ran a contest for the top ten weirdest bucks harvested in 2020, and old Doofus was the number two featured buck on that list. And, uh, man, what an incredible 
uh, thing for, for the Gandy family. Um, just to not necessarily be the way you thought you might end up in uh, outdoor life someday, but definitely a great way to be there nonetheless. And uh, um, you can see a good picture of Doofus there, and along with some other really crazy looking bucks, but but uh, old Doofus, he kind of takes the cake in that one. But um, you'll have to get on, on uh, my, you can find a link to that on my Facebook page, or if you go to that page that I told you about that Noel runs on Facebook, uh, you'll be able to find the story there as well. But you definitely do not want to miss out on the doofus story and uh, see that feature there in outdoor life. Well, uh, we are getting to the point now where I'm starting to ramble too long, but before I head over to the main part of this episode, which is the interview with Brad and Todd from Team Lone Oak on rabbit hunting. Um, I do want to say this. I have been talking about having a store set up for you to start taking a look at some first-gen hunter gear here soon. And uh, I'm I have told you that I am very close, and I still remain in that spot, but I have not really advanced since uh, since last week. It just takes a lot of time, and i got to allocate my time uh, to the most pressing things. And so hopefully in a week here, I'll, well, more like a week and a half, I'll be able to uh, uh, free up some more time to get the final touches put on that. i got to get some sales tax stuff figured out. As you can imagine, whenever you're dealing with stuff like that, it's ridiculously complicated and uh, takes a lot of time to get through all the red tape and everything else so I basically just got to do that and then it'll be ready to go but I also want to make sure that all my products are finalized I've gotten some samples in to make sure that I I like them and I'm glad I did it because I already found one that I want to at least adjust uh, before I put it out there for you guys to spend your hard-earned money on and uh, you know I want it to be something that you're proud to wear and I want to be proud that you're wearing it so I'm going to try and make sure that I'm I'm finding some good stuff for you guys there um, and of course would greatly appreciate you considering uh, uh, making a purchase that, that really helps me out with uh, putting out this content for you guys and hopefully helping you become better hunters certainly helping me I get to talk to these people that know so much more than I do and man is that helpful <laughs> well I need to shut up so you can get on to what you came here for which is learn a little bit more about rabbit hunting and I hope you enjoy it here on uh, this episode thanks for tuning in guys Caribou, elk, moose, antelope, coos deer, trophy whitetails, oryx, sika deer, doll sheep, and mule deer. What do all these critters have in common besides their delicious backstraps? They can't all be hunted in the same state, meaning that at least one of these game species will require you to purchase a non-resident hunting license and tag in order to hunt them. Now the rules of the tag application game are wildly diverse from state to state and if you are looking to complete a bucket list hunt you are going to want some help to make sure you are setting yourself up for the best opportunity possible and that's where tag application and hunt planning agent Alex Gruen of East to West Hunts can really help you out. If you've listened to any of the episodes we've had here on the First Gen Hunter podcast with our buddy Alex 
then you know there isn't anyone who cares more about the details of tag acquisition than him. Alex not only will help you through the hoops of the tag application process, but he will also help you plan the details of your trip that will get you where you need to be in order to have your best chance at filling your tag. And he is offering a 10% discount for First Gen Hunter podcast listeners such as yourself. All you have to do is purchase a service through his website, alexgruen.com. That's A-L-E-X-G-R-U-I-N.com and use the code FIRSTGEN10 at checkout. F-I-R-S-T-G-E-N, the number 10, and you will receive 10% off the hunt of your lifetime. Hey there, First Geners. We got another episode recording for you on a Saturday. That's kind of unusual for us. Usually we're kind of a, well, I shouldn't say that. We do record a lot on Saturdays, but it's usually Saturday night. But right now it is a beautiful, sunny, negative one degrees out here in Iowa. And uh, Brad currently has no power at his house because he got knocked out by an ice storm. And I don't know, Todd seems to be doing okay where he's at. It looks like he's got some lights on. Todd has a whole home generator, so when his power goes out, it's all good for him. Oh man, that is that <laughs> is uh, definitely the the uh, way to go for that. My parents they have a whole home generator as well. In fact, that was kind of a selling point when they bought their current house. And then, like the first, you know, my dad was like, he, he was a little arrogant about it. You know, he was like, we got this whole home generator, and uh, he was kind of looking forward to his first ice storm. And uh, then when uh, the ice storm came power went out generator did not kick on <laughs> so he uh he uh, didn't get to do his victory lap or anything like that and he instantly had to go on the phone with uh with whoever the company was and had his first service bill but yeah it's nice to have for sure yeah, yeah. it's not actually not a whole home generator it does operate the upstairs all the essentials so yeah i do i can survive put it that way <laughs> good, good deal good deal <laughs> Yeah, man. You know, I have I have all these uh these uh ideas of course for how I could solve world problems and one of them is how you could make it so that power lines never uh, freeze over again, but that'll have to wait for another uh, episode. <laughs> but uh, I I appreciate you guys making including recording an episode of First Gen Hunter in your uh your energy uh, saving plans today. So yeah, man, uh, thanks for having us. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, at, right after we're done recording here, I'm actually going out to do a little bit of small game hunting myself, um, with, with a good friend of mine as, uh, the hunting season wraps up there in Illinois. And, uh, we're going to do a little squirrel hunting and, uh, you know, if we see a rabbit or something, of course, we'll, uh, be happy to try and bag one of the one or two of those. Um, but, that's really what we're focusing on now. We're talking about hunting bunnies, bunny busting. And uh, <laughs> you guys over there at uh, Team Lone Oak put up some really cool videos uh, doing just that. So uh, that's why we brought you on. There's not a lot of, not a lot of rabbit hunters out there anymore, but uh, obviously you guys know what you're doing. And, um, you know, with the theme of our show, you know, the mission of our show really of helping new and, and inexperienced hunters really get more involved with hunting and, and find more success for the long run. 
I think small game is a very much so overlooked component to that. You know, um, mm-hmm. we've all been there where deer season just does not work out how we plan. Right. You know, the, the <laughs> deer hunting, deer hunting can just be downright hard. You know, it, it can be hard Absolutely, to, yeah. to fill a tag. And, you know, if somebody is brand new to hunting, they might, they might feel like they're always missing out because they don't ever have anything to bring home. But small mm-hmm. game hunting, I think, can really kind of, you know, be a, a Band-Aid, <laughs> so to speak, yeah, for absolutely. for a disappointing big game season. Uh, there's just so many more opportunities. You don't have to be so uh, uh, nitpicky with the details like you do with deer hunting, you know, uh, with scent and having the right camo and, and, you know, making sure you have a tree stand in the right spot. You know, you, a lot of times you can, you, even if you have no idea what you're doing, you can do some aimless wandering in a stand of timber and at least come away with a squirrel or two you know so so uh i think i think it's important that we're having this conversation today but before we get to that point i do want to hear a little bit about the hunting background for both brad and todd here of team lone oak and these guys are they're talking to us all the way from uh virginia today so what what do you guys have for your hunting background there in the great hunting state of virginia you want to lead off, Brad? Yeah, sure, man. I uh, my dad started taking me out when, I mean, I was probably four or five years old with him, and uh, mainly just go with him while he was deer hunting, and uh, we eventually started squirrel hunting together, and I had a little four ten, and I don't think I ever, I don't think I ever hit anything with that gun, but <laughs> I sure shot a lot. And then uh, you know, I just started mainly just deer hunting up until about. I don't know. My uncle got me into turkey hunting when I was in high school. And, uh, yeah, man, hunted, hunted hard, deer hunted hard, turkey hunted hard all through college. And then, uh, yeah, met Todd back in, I don't know, probably 2005, 2006, I think. Yeah. And, uh, that's when I started rabbit hunting was when I got in with him and, and now him and I, we, we hunt together. I mean, every weekend, pretty much October through February and then when turkey season starts up again in the spring. So, yeah, man, my hunting goes back to the time I was old enough to remember doing anything. My dad had me out there in the woods. I mean, it was a lot of good memories, man, a lot of good memories. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, Todd, That's what awesome. you got, man? Yeah, um, my dad uh, didn't hunt. He he was uh, didn't really fish either, but he did get me outdoors as far as fishing goes. My hunting really started when I was uh, probably – 10 11 years old um first uh, my uncle was a big rabbit hunter back in the day and uh any uh dogs that he wasn't satisfied with or even like a puppy that he uh had too many to deal with i would get those and have uh, beagles growing as a kid oh that's cool man yep yep so i had had several of those growing up as a kid and then when i got about um i don't know probably right around 11 12 years old i got my first uh beagle um, as far as a rabbit dog goes, my uncle went and bought a pair, a female and a male, and I ended up getting the, the male. He took the female, and uh, it all kind of started from there, probably in that, that 12 to 13 range is when I really got my first rabbit dogs. And uh, I'm 47 now, and I've had them, you know, ever since then. So Wow, that's yeah, cool. So basically, just kind of started out doing that and a lot of squirrel hunting. Um I was fortunate growing up as a kid that um, right around the corner here from where I live at now, there was a uh, big farmland in Austin. 
crop fields behind the house and, and big open land, which is kind of grown up now, unfortunately, like you hear in all the towns, small towns or big towns, really. Um, mm. So I could turn dogs out during the summertime and then and basically anytime right outside the house and they would just run into bean fields and stuff behind the house. And I would just, you know, get them and just check on them. Whereas now you can't do that. You'd have to be with them all the time. It's just so oh, many yeah. people traffic and everything. So, but uh, started out small game hunting uh, with the rabbit dogs and got into some squirrel hunting. And really, I didn't even get into any deer hunting until I was, man, I was in my teens, late teens, really. Hmm. Um, and uh, had a few buddies that had gotten into it and started hunting with them and ended up um, going and killed a few deer early on and just kind of got hooked on that. But I never lost the, the fever and all for, for the, the dogs and the rabbit hunting and everything. So, um, like Brad said, my, my uh, uncle was a huge, huge influence on me as far as um, the rabbit hunting goes. He did a lot of spring gobbler hunting, went with him on that, got my first turkey with him. Um, so, yeah, that, that was kind of my start was my uncle getting me into it, and I'm very blessed every day that he did. Yeah, man, that is, that's a really cool story for, honestly, for both of you. And uh, it's interesting because I was going to ask you about the dogs later on, and that'll kind of be what we uh, move towards here in just a little bit. But uh, are, are those dogs, I mean, is that like the same genetic line since you were a young teenager? Uh, it is not. Some of the, the older stock had, had died off. And, sure. Um, I, uh, getting some uh, later on uh, uh, from a few other connections that I had that uh, um, are pretty much in the same bloodline now, yes. Um, quite a few of them are. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's cool to have that that uh, almost really a, a heritage, you know, within your within your own, uh, you know, a lot of times we just view them as pets. But, but really, when you start talking about hunting with dogs, and I imagine people, you know, every now and then you see somebody who's out there, they've got like a, uh, you know, a falcon or something that they uh, hunt with. You know, there's there's just some extra connection that you develop with your, for lack of a better term, pet when you uh, get to use them, when you get to use them that way to share those experiences with you. You know, it makes it, it, makes it much more of a friendship and like a partnership than uh, just, you know, kind of almost uh, something to dote on. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, you know, like like you had mentioned before. I mean, with the the small game hunting and the uh, um, whether you're squirrel hunting or, or bird hunting, upland hunting or, or rabbit hunting, any of that. I mean, basically, to me, it's all about you know if you have dog, working dogs, it's all about the, the dogs themselves and, and watching them work and, and training, you know, taking care of them and, and the camaraderie with your your friends and and you know new friends, old friends um, out in the field, just enjoying it. You don't have to you kind of laid back more than you are in a deer stand. You don't have to sit up there like a statue all day. You can move around and, you know, right. it's, it's a lot different. And, uh, you know, I enjoy my deer hunting, but when you're out there with my dogs, that's a, that's a great passion of mine. Yeah, that's, that's well said for sure. And, uh, you know, we, you guys have, obviously we're, we're talking about Virginia here and, uh, uh that's something that I, I kind of want to move to just for a second here with the conversation. I could talk hunting dogs all day though. <laughs> That's so, <laughs> it's so cool. But, um, uh, you know, I've had a neighbor who, uh, he actually was from West Virginia, but he, I think he spent much of his adult years in Virginia and then he moved out to, to Iowa. And I mean, you want to talk a guy who lives and breathes the outdoors. And then, uh, one of the best shed hunters I've ever met, um, he's from Virginia. He grew up in Virginia 
And I've really started to, and even from following your guys' channel and from, from running into other people or hearing interviews with other people out there, I think Virginia, I mean, it probably doesn't seem this way to you guys because you live there and I mean, it's what you know, but I, I feel like Virginia is kind of a, a sleeper state in the sense of its importance to the hunting community. I mean, can you just give us like a little rundown? Obviously we know, uh, rabbit hunting and, and, uh, deer hunting is big out there, but can you kind of fill us in here on, on, uh, by us, I mean me, the Iowan and anyone else listening in, but, uh, what, what's the hunting culture like in Virginia? Um, man, it's huge out here. Um, and, and I, I do agree with you. I think we are a sleeper state. You don't, you don't see guys come out here and deer hunt a lot on TV or, uh, right. or the YouTube channels and all that. You just don't see anybody talk about Virginia. I think the hunting public hunted in Virginia during turkey season last spring. Um, okay. But the, uh, the, the, the hunting culture out here is huge. I mean, you know, you, it's, it's different out here for deer hunting as it is uh, as compared to other states because we do run dogs for deer. So you have huge hunt clubs with huge tracts of land. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a different style of hunting. But, man, the, the opportunities out here, the seasons are long. The bag limits are, are pretty liberal. I mean, you can, uh, for us, you know, the, the, state, the state license holders, you get a lot of bang for your buck out here. So. Yeah, that's that's really the exact thing that I've started to notice as I've looked at it more closely is, is like you said, just a lot more opportunity. And I think part of that is Virginia is a pretty diverse state. Uh, the guy who would yes. normally be, be co-hosting with me right now, but uh, he had some other obligations today. He's from Delaware, so he's he's not too far from your neck of the woods. And mm -hmm. just from hearing him describe what's available there in in Delaware. And then, you know, like I've been saying, what I've been seeing coming out of Virginia, it's just such a diverse place to, uh, not only live, but, but to be an outdoorsman. I mean, you have, you have, uh, some of the opportunities there with right on the coast and, uh, mm -hmm. um, some pretty thick forested areas, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, you know, quite a bit of ag land too. Is that correct? Yeah, we are, uh, we're in central Virginia about, I don't know, probably 20, 30 minutes outside Richmond, okay. uh, which is the state capital. And, uh, I mean, from where we are, you can be at the beach or in the mountains in less than three hours. Wow. Um, so yeah, we, the, the stuff that we primarily hunt our area in central Virginia is a lot of, uh, replanted pine plantations. That's a, that's a big thing around here. A lot of timber companies own land around here. Um, but you know, you got the, the prime agriculture land in southeastern Virginia where a lot of big bucks in the state are killed. And then you got a lot of just big forest land. There's tons. It's probably, it's probably close to a million acres of, wow. of, uh, uh, national forest land. Wow. That's there. insane. So, am, am I right on that, Todd? Is that the number that I think? Yeah, I think it's very close to that. You got a lot yeah, of, uh, Wildlife. I know it's up in the in the hundreds of thousands of acres of, of uh, national forest land out in the western part of the That's state. That's crazy. So the the opportunities here are, are are endless. I mean, kill three turkeys in spring, you can kill you can kill three bucks with with one deer license. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's uh, and it's yeah. really an unlimited number of does. You can kill as many does as you want if you're willing to buy the extra tag. Wow. Yeah. The uh, the hunting here, like you were saying, is definitely some thick forest. It's a lot of replanted so, pine. Yeah, a lot of opportunity out here. Have the 
some areas you do not have the luxury of the big blocks of wide open hardwood timber to, to hunt but uh the game is plentiful if you want to put in the time and some effort and, and you know, do it that way. It's definitely plenty plentiful for sure. Nice bucks, lots of uh, deer. Deer population is pretty strong. Turkey, um, you know, even small games. So, yeah, it's definitely a good opportunity. Yeah, that, that seems that way. And maybe one of these times I'll have to come out and pay you guys a visit and you guys can educate me on some rabbit hunting sometime. Be... <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. man. We're willing to do that. That'd, that'd be a ton of fun. Well, mm-hmm. let's let's uh, start heading that direction here. And again, I I definitely want to pick Todd's brain a little bit more on the the dog side of this because I'm a I'm also a gun dog guy. But for here in Iowa, you know that that of course is it's either going to be waterfowl or upland game, and for me, it's upland uh, birds, uh, pheasants, and quail mainly. But uh, that that to me, when you start seeing your dogs work, that's just as rewarding as as pulling the trigger, you know, and, and, and even if it doesn't, even if it doesn't end in, in bagging an animal, just seeing them do the right thing and, and follow their training and everything and their instinct. That's just, that's so rewarding, but we'll have to, we'll have to come back. We'll have to geek on geek out on that here in a little bit, but uh, I kind of want to start out with, um, you know, we, as we were just talking with as diverse of opportunities as Virginia has, one of the things that I'm now starting to, to figure out myself is, as I, you know, extend my experience levels each year with, with uh, different types of hunting is how do you fit it all in? <laughs> you know, cer- <laughs> certainly, uh, certainly if you can bag or, or tag your buck in, you know, early season, that that opens up a lot more, you know, hunting opportunities for the remainder of the year. But man, if you have a year where it takes you till, you know, late in the season to to be satisfied with your deer season, you know, it's it, it's really hard to start fitting in some of these other types of of hunting. And so, do you guys? mix rabbit hunting in throughout the year do you prioritize it in like a one month or maybe two month window at the end of the season do you just do it early season how do you kind of work that in with the rest of your hunting season um well primarily the the main months that we rabbit hunt here are going to be january and february okay the main uh thing with that is a lot of our our rabbit hunting land or deer leases and uh, typically, you try not to go in there. You have a few pieces of property you can hunt, um, but uh, primary deer leases, you don't want to go in there and, and disturb them until basically deer season's over with. Right. Um, but we try to get out. At the, the season comes in in November, and, and typical uh, November weather here in Virginia, I mean, you'll have some mornings where it's frosty and really cold, but a lot of times it's pretty mild and gets pretty hot quickly. So uh, November isn't the, the greatest ideal for some of the, the running here in Virginia because of the, the warm weather and all uh, anyhow. So typically we try to get out a couple times in uh, December, mid, mid December to, to like Christmas and get it, get the dogs out a couple times on a few half day hunts and uh, basically try to um, try to get them out then. And then January, February, basically it's uh, every, every Saturday. And then in February, I take off some days during the week. So we try to get in about <laughs> 15 18 hunts a year something like that to put right around that 15 mark and um wow that's good so, 
so we we do it pretty good then uh, unfortunately like going today we're iced in and can't get out and do anything here in virginia which is that's the reason we're on here and uh, <laughs> it, you know, if, it, if, if, if it was nice weather outside we wouldn't be talking to you you can't <laughs> <laughs> yeah man i've I've kind of just had to embrace it here for myself because it's been about, I don't know, maybe three weeks, a month since I've mm-hmm. been, well, maybe not a month, but probably three weeks since I've been able to do anything. It's just been so yeah. bitterly cold and we keep getting dumped on with snow, but it's like yeah, today yeah. I'm I'm just going for it, you know? <laughs> it, it's tough in the, uh, in the snow. I mean, you know, especially when it's hard and crusty, like, yeah, it just wears a dog's pads out and stuff, you know, it's yeah. one, one thing yep. to have a run or two if you try to go all day, um, you know, I try to try to limit that as much as possible. But with, again, we don't get a lot of snow. It's like every four or five years, we'll get some snow like this that'll that'll you know put you in the house for a few days, and then we'll get back out. So, season here goes out at the end of February, so we're getting itchy to get back out there. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, next week or definitely next weekend and the following weekend, I got about another, hopefully another three four good hunts in before the end of the season. Yeah, that that. That's that's going hard right there, man. That's that's mm-hmm. getting after it. That's good though. That's nice to be yeah. able to take advantage of it before it's gone. And and you can probably relate to this. Uh, I'm sure you can as a dog owner, and, and a, a hunting dog owner. You almost feel guilty not getting them out enough, you know, because yep. that's when they're most. <laughs> that's when they're they're living their best life, right? You're right. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely right about that. I mean, you put in. Uh, all the effort and, and the caretaking all throughout the year and pay all the money for the feed and all that. And, uh, you want to try to get them out as much as possible. Um, you know, and it's tough here during the, uh, the off season as far as running and keeping them in shape. I don't do an awful lot of running summer running, um, just on kind of the heat, and everything. And I've had uh, bad experience with Lyme disease over in the past with a few dogs and everything. So, so once the cooler weather starts hitting, I, I do run a little bit right after the season in March and early April before the spring gobbler. Um, and then I try to try to get them out as soon as I can, probably right around the, uh, the end of summer there in September a few times. And then basically just on to hunting season from there, mostly uh, mid December on through. But I mean, as far as hunting goes with the, with the deer aspect, it's a long season here. Um, Basically, you're hunting about every Saturday, um, starting in bow season here in October through uh, um, February. Every Saturday is pretty much in the woods doing some type of hunting, and you got that January, February, and, and probably a, a few times in December we're rabbit hunting. Yeah, yeah. And that's the way it is with most people. Most people around here, you know, they, they the, the diehard rabbit hunters, maybe a few guys that only rabbit hunt and don't do anything else, they have a select few good properties that they can hunt throughout. Um, but around here, man, it's like more hunters and land. So coming by, you know, land just to, to go in there and, and knock on the door and ask permission is kind of long gone around here in Central Virginia. <laughs> huh. So you, that's you're interesting. Hunting, you're not hunting at all, or you're fortunate to have enough good friends to take you. Yeah, that's 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 really interesting to hear that. And I've kind of heard that trend, you know, and not just you know in virginia but but even around here where it it does start to get a little bit more challenging to get that permission to to hunt and you know part of that is for sure the competition but you know i think maybe for 
to get a little preachy here just for us as hunters, you know, when we do get granted that permission, we got to treat that very respectfully because oh yeah, I mean, absolutely. all it is, is one, one person getting a bad taste in their mouth. And they say, you know what? I'm not letting anybody do that anymore. And now what mm-hmm. happens is you've got a displacement, right? Cause you have, you know, if there's, let's say there's two groups of guys that have been hunting this place. Now you got two groups of guys that are going to be working in with other properties where other people are trying to hunt and you're you're just putting all this congestion on the local hunting opportunities all because somebody couldn't pick up their trash or you know be be respectful or you know not not uh show up and and uh um you know, not let the landowner know they're going to be out there or whatever, and they're trying to do something on their own ground, and now you're in the way. I mean, it's so important when we do get those opportunities to be as respectful as we possibly can, go above and beyond to to uh, show appreciation for, for those opportunities. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. We have a few good good friends that let us hunt their farm. We get invites there, and we, we you know, um, try to be as respectful as we can and do all we can do to, to keep that rapport and that relationship as good as we can to get another invite the following year. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's exactly the way to do it for sure. Well, we're kind of talking around it here, but I want to hit it specifically and especially for, I'm going to imagine most of our Midwestern, uh, hunters and, um, uh, probably even, you know, it'd be interesting to see what rabbit hunting looks like out west. I think most of the rabbits you're going to find out west are probably more jackrabbits than anything. Mm-hmm. But outside of the south, where I've noticed there's a lot of rabbit hunting that goes on down in the, the swamps and like Louisiana and Mississippi and Alabama and, and those places, mm-hmm. um, probably a little bit in Arkansas as well, uh, or, or up in your guys' neck of the woods. I I think a lot of people look at rabbit hunting as stomping around brush piles and briar patches and hoping something comes squirting out of there. And they, they don't necessarily have an understanding of the kind of rabbit hunting that you guys do with your dogs. And man, from watching your videos on YouTube, it kind of reminds me of something that happens around here. Although I don't really hunt this, this way. I know a lot of, uh, gun season deer hunters around the Midwest hunt this way, which is, uh, doing deer drives. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it kind of reminds me of that where, you know, everyone's got kind of a, a position that they're in and, you know, there's, there's a plan for how you're going to, you're going to cover a lot of ground and, kind of keep things out in front of you and you know you have your shooting lane that type of thing um is is that an accurate understanding of what's going on there uh somewhat i mean it, it's not as not it's not as well planned out as a deer drive is it's just kind of uh you know we're all respectful of where everyone else is that's hunting with us um but yeah i mean when when the when the dogs get on the rabbit i mean a lot of times he's going to eventually make a loop and come right back in there you know where you got got him up at um so that's that's our main strat the uh, the real strategy we that, that we use is uh you know just planning on that happening so we kind of just spread out you know around the jump area and uh they don't always come back um i think we ran one last saturday that he got up out of his area and he was gone but uh a lot of yeah i mean you know uh, I'd say three out of four are probably going to make a loop and come back to where you jump them at. So that that's really the main strategy that we use. 
um, we 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 do a we we do a lot of kicking around the brush piles and stuff. Um, you know, yeah. we got uh, you know, ten dogs and about five to six hunters. So yeah, we we put a lot of uh, feet on the ground trying to kick up brush piles and stuff. But the dogs sure. do a lot of the work themselves. Right. Yeah, a lot. It just all depends. I mean, it, you know, I was raised to, you know, when you're early on, you know, you only have two or three dogs. You don't have have ten dogs or what have you. But I, I was raised to, you know, not stand in the road. I, I I enjoy getting up in there. You know, I'm I'm going out and I come back home and my hands are scratched, my legs are scratched. You know, <laughs> wear all the fireproof clothes you can wear with chaps and jackets and all that and. You know, you, your clothes are, are tore up. You got scratches on your hands, but I love it. I'm going to be back out there next Saturday. You know, I, that's just how I am. I like jumping them just as much as the dogs do. The dogs probably do jump the majority of them, but if we kick one up, we're definitely going to put the dogs on it for sure and let them run it um, run it out of there. And typically, I, I would say 99% of the time, we do not jump any, uh, kill any rabbits on a jump or shoot at them on a jump. We want the dogs to run them. Um, you know, that's just how it is. Like I said, it's all about those dogs running them and, and hearing them, I, you know, I, I'd much rather go out there and myself have, have three or four, you know, 30-minute to hour-long chases than to go out there and, and get those four than to go out there and have, you know, 10, 10 short little chases and kill them on a jump or what have you. So that, that's just how I was raised hunting as far as rabbits go. This shows me how much I don't know. <laughs> um, so you you're, you both use that term there, the jump. I think I understand what that means. That's right where they're, you're busting them out of their cover where they mm-hmm. – the, yep. and, and one thing I have kind of observed about rabbits is they seem to hold pretty tight. Uh, they, they, uh, they wait till the pressure gets pretty high before they, uh, come squirting out of there. Whereas pheasants or quail, you know, they, they will, they'll, uh, if they're feeling nervous enough, they could, they could jump 20, 30, 40, 50 yards before you get there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, yeah. During deer season, we use the term, you gotta, you gotta kick them up like rabbits um when when the deer are laying really tight we said you gotta sure. you gotta jump them like rabbits in here which you know and that's i mean the rabbits that we we were talking about this the other day we, i remember when you could get the rabbits to get up in front of you a little bit but i mean these days it seems like you you have to absolutely step you either the hunter steps right on top of them or the dog puts his nose right on top of them before they yeah. get up sometimes okay. you'll you'll have the opportunity where they'll get up you'll be hunting along and the dog will be with you hunting and all of a sudden they'll just you know strike a scent and, and go and you didn't see the rabbit get up or the dog didn't jump it they'll just hit a hot track and go and that means that rabbit's gotten up in front of you but typically you're going to be jumping them you know in broom straw and, and honeysuckle patches briar, green briar that sort of thing or laps you're, you're depending on what type of territory you're hunting um but yeah typically you're going to jump them like that but every now and then they will get up in front of you and they'll hit a hot track and take it out of there Wow, that's that's really interesting. So then, something, Brad, you kind of mentioned there a few minutes ago. They'll loop around, and, and I have either read that somewhere before. I think I read an article in Field and Stream uh, several years ago um, about a somebody who was hunting rabbits down in the swamps in Louisiana or Alabama or wherever it was um, with dogs, like you guys were doing. And they would talk about that, how you would just wait for them to kind of loop back around. And, and Todd, when you when you say that you don't want to shoot them off the jump, you want the chase to take place, is that kind of what you're waiting for? You're waiting for that rabbit to come back to where that jump area is, and then that's yeah. when you bag them? Especially on, the on you know, you, you got good days and you got bad days. You know, typically you, you a good day if you kill – you know, three or four, five, maybe six rabbits. I, I consider that a good day here because a lot of terrain we hunt is so thick and so nasty that the dogs are running in. 
Yeah. You, you're not hunting open ground where the rabbit just runs out and you get nice, pretty shots out. Right, or nothing. right. You got to work for them. So, you know, you, on, especially on the bad days, I consider where you've hunted an hour or maybe two hours trying to jump a rabbit and can't jump them. And all of a sudden you jump one. I, I, I don't want that chase to end within the first, you know, two or three minutes. I want the, you know, dogs who work so hard, give them a chance to run the rabbit, you know, and right. bring them back done you know that, that's that's typical that's that's what i look look for sure sure it also depends too on the when we talk about you know rabbit running a loop it also depends on the terrain you're hunting if you're if you're hunting like um thick stuff like that that the rabbit feels secure in and he can go in there and double around a few times in there he will do that but if you get it where you might chase him out into open hardwoods or something sometimes he don't come back or if you open if you're hunting real like um open cut over like like you know clear cut that's just been cut in a year or two and it's not thick enough to hold that rabbit or give it enough cover he's going going to get up out of there and he's not coming back he's going to go somewhere where it's thick and he's going to stay there typically but if you get thick enough cover he will double around in there a few times and hopefully you're lucky enough to get a shot at him huh that's really interesting that that uh <laughs> that again shows me how much i did not understand about this uh that's really cool <laughs> it makes it a lot more interesting that way too i think to let the dogs work like that and let them be in that hot pursuit and you're right it does it does extend the the uh excitement for them too that's and and gives the rabbit a real sporting chance <laughs> for sure that's really cool Okay, so here's here's something else that pertains to the dogs that just from watching you guys, watching other other uh, rabbit hunters that use dogs, who's like keeping the dogs? You know what I mean? Are they so you talk about like having around 10, 10 dogs and I think Brad you said 5 to 6 hunters is usually what you guys prefer to have and I definitely want to ask you about that too just from a hunting numbers uh standpoint but mm -hmm. do the dogs just kind of drift in between the five or six of you guys you know where wherever the scent kind of takes them and so you know you guys let's say um you're approaching a, a stand of timber on like a you know a edge of a grassy field or something are are you guys going to kind of approach that with each person kind of having their own zone and then the dogs kind of drift in between you, you know, based on where they're smelling rabbits or, or how, how are you guys approaching that with, with the dogs and like those, those type of habitat features? We usually just, it's really about, it's three or four of us that really hit the bush pretty hard. And we usually stay about, depending on how thick the cover is, about 15 to 20 yards apart. And the dogs just kind of, They'll, they'll scatter a little bit. Most of the time they follow the man that feeds them through the woods. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Typically, you know, you, you know, you, you, you said you're, you're, um, a dog guy, gun, gun dog guy. I mean, you know, you, you're barking out, you know, commands to your dogs and everything. So you kind of, it's like a drill sergeant and, and there's yeah. troops there, you know, you're kind of commanding them on what to do. Um, you know, if a dog starts trailing over here, I'll call the dogs over to them, and most of them are going to come anyhow and here, here, uh, start barking a little bit on, on a track. Um, but if you go and like, you know, you you uh, you jump a rabbit, or whatever, you know, you're hiking the dogs over to to where the spot is, whether you jump them or somebody else jumped them. So it's different commands out in the field that you're you're delivering to those dogs. And if I get to a lap pile, I'm you know hiking them into that lap pile for them to get underneath there and hunt, try to get all of them in there. Um, anything like that so you know typically they're going to be with me uh through the woods and we're just all kind of hunting together and we're just kind of bumping sure. along and kicking along the dogs are doing the majority of the hunting and 
if we happen to kick a, you know, a honeysuckle pile or a uh, green briar or hit a lap or something and something comes out, we'll put the dogs on them. But typically they're the ones doing most of the hunting. Okay. Yeah. That makes, uh, that makes a lot more sense now. I, I see what yeah. you're saying now. Uh, that, that's, that's good. So, uh, from just the dog standpoint, then again, beagles are really the main breed that I see people doing this with. I believe that's what you guys are using. Um, is that really, I mean, is it just, they are so far above, you know, being suited for that for rabbit hunting than most other breeds out there? Or are there other breeds that people like to use too for hunting rabbits? Um, most, I would say probably majority of it definitely is, is beagles, um, for sure. And, you know, depending on the, who, who the hunter is and who you ask on any given day, everybody has their own type of beagle they like, their own style of beagle, their own speed of beagle, you know, and, and that aspect of it. Um, and, and, and size of beagle. I mean, you know, you can get anywhere from a, a small 11, 12 inch beagle that runs a rabbit up to almost a, you know, 15, 16 inch beagle sure. that runs a rabbit. And, and typically the, the bigger the dog, the harder they're going to push them and more pressure they're going to put on them. Um, I, I typically always just, just liked a, um, um, just a, 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 um, slow to probably medium, I would say medium speed beagles, what I would have that, that just aren't a uh, nice steady track um and and push the rabbit along where he's not blowing by he's running at a good speed where you know you can kill him and keep up with him and everything so um and other guys tell you i want to put pressure on that rabbit i want to blow the woman all you know that sort of thing but again i think it goes back to the uh terrain like if i would take my dogs and and uh if i was hunting a more open terrain with with uh light cover where the dogs are running more open terrain i would probably change my style up a little bit whereas now i'm hunting all this thick, nasty, heavy stuff that, that dogs, it could be a, a fast dog or a uh, medium dog. And they're kind of going to run uh, the same a little bit in some of the areas we hunt because it's so thick for the dog to get through. And I kind of like a smaller dog, like a 13 inch beagle, something close to that, sure. that, that get up underneath the brush and thick, nasty briar cover we, we hunt in. Sure. That makes sense. That matching the size and the, the physical physicality of the dog to the terrain they're going to be hunting. Yeah. And that's, mm -hmm. I mean, that's what you do with bird dogs too. Really. You, if you're going to want to do a lot of waterfowl hunting, you got to have a dog with a heavier coat, maybe a little bit mm -hmm. more, more meat on their bones. If you're going to do a lot of, you know, drier area hunting, you don't want a dog with that heavy coat. You want something that's going to, not going to tire out and a little bit slighter build and can go a little longer. Yeah, for sure. So when you're training these dogs, do you work a lot of uh, scent recognition with them? Or is that more of a, you know, that that's just instinct for a beagle? What 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 do you do with that? Over the years, uh, since I've really gotten into it, I, I've uh, um, had anywhere from puppies to, to started dogs. Over the last, I'd say probably six or eight years, I've had... Uh, a puppy or two but i've actually gotten more dogs that have been been like almost green or, or lightly started in other words where um, um i've gotten them from somebody that the, they're anywhere from say six or eight months old up to close to a year old or maybe a little bit older that have already been started and going sure. um and and the reason for that you know sometimes i feel like you you kind of get more bang for your buck and it all depends too on on, on lifestyle with uh I have have a uh, young son now, four years old, taking up a lot of lot more of my time and everything. I could <laughs> pay, pay a little bit of money for a dog, or a little bit more money for a dog, and already have them kind of started. And I can put them with my pack to finish them. 
Whereas with a with a puppy, like you're saying there, the the trying to get them started and, and the money you spend with gas money and, and, and personal time to try to get them out in the field to get them going, I mean, it kind of equates kind of equal. Uh, even though I do enjoy getting a puppy and getting them started, and I'm probably as my son gets older, I'm probably gonna um, have more puppies and try to try to do that for sure. I, I do enjoy that, but but typically one or the other, I'll either get a puppy started and and uh, like you said, sent sending. I, I've I've done anything from bottle scent to to dragging around the yard out there and hiding the uh the drag rag I, i've even uh, <laughs> certain time here i picked up uh roadkill rabbits oh there you go with, that's a good worked, idea worked, worked with them worked with them in that aspect of them. i know some guys they'll pick them up and they'll put them in a ziploc bag and freeze them until they're ready you know that's sort of sure. what they want you know, a clean kill but yeah i mean there's it, several different ways you could do that but a lot of people around here they, they raise their puppies and i got several uh, people i know that have their own starting pins and when i say starting pin they have a uh fenced in enclosure from like an acre to three or four acres that's fenced in and has like uh, live bunnies in it that you would take uh, a okay yeah dog. you would you wouldn't take a finished dog in there because they probably would catch them but you would take a started dog in there and they can start sitting that away and, and, you know, run them and you're not introducing them to any off game like deer or anything like that. They would just strictly be in there with rabbits. Right. So that's, that's a big thing now that's really caught on probably in the last 10 years as folks. Yeah, with, that's uh, interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. Again, you know, I'm just seeing some of the parallels there between training bird dogs and, and rabbit dogs. You know, sometimes people will do that with, they'll, they'll purchase some pigeons or something like that, that they can, you know, I've even, I got a friend who's a, he's a longtime bird hunter. He, he used to, he used to run some dogs for pheasants. And one of the things he uh, would do is he'd, he'd buy like a pigeon and then he'd go down in his basement and turn that pigeon loose to fly around his basement. And he said, that'll get a dog, that'll get a dog birdie real quick. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, I don't have a lot of experience with like bird dogs or anything. My background is definitely with beagles, with right. with rat stuff. But I got I've had a good a bit of experience with uh, deer beagles, deer hounds, and stuff. As we sure. we do here with that here, but um, you got to have a lot a lot of patience um, trying to break a rabbit dog, much less comparing it to like a deer dog. You know, deer dogs. A lot of them, they just they scent the rabbit, and and basically they they run with their nose up. They're winding that that deer a lot of the time going through the woods with like a rabbit doesn't put off as much scent, and that dog has to have his nose on the ground. And you know, you got dogs that that come out of there at six months old running. You got some of them that that don't show a lot of interest. And I've I've had dogs up there over a year old. You know, as far as getting started, so you do require a lot of patience with with uh, rabbit dogs and beagles. Hmm. Uh, to get them you know to where you like them some just some just don't make the cut sure. you know and that's just in every whether it's a deer hound or rabbit hound or bird dog they just don't make the cut you know it could be anywhere from not showing interest don't have enough hunt they might be gun shy i mean it's several things but you definitely have to have a lot of patience with them yeah that's really interesting for sure you brought up an interesting thing there that i've heard before but uh might have to do another episode to hear your hear your take on this. That's with the the hunting deer with hounds. I believe isn't Virginia one of the only places left where where uh, that where people hunt that way for deer? Yeah, yeah so I mean, southeast is probably what what Brad like eight eight or ten states. Probably probably around ten ten or less states you got in the southeast that still do it. Yeah, it's it's definitely a big yeah. I know job. North Carolina. North Carolina mm. still does it. I think okay. parts of Arkansas might still do it. Mm-hmm. Mississippi. Um, yeah, Florida. I think down the 
Yeah. That's so cool to me. I mean, that you want to talk about like an old world way of hunting, you know, that's like that's like stuff that went on back in in uh <laughs> Europe and stuff. That's yeah, that's so uh, cool. Definitely a, a big uh controversy. Let's let's put it that way yeah. versus the, the dog hunters versus the guys that want to still hunt and it's uh a shame that it's come to that because you know with hunting right now whether whether you're a bird hunter deer hunter still hunter dog hunter whatever you, you all the hunters really should should unite under one um accord and, and try to fight this thing as you know every year somebody's trying to take your rights away from you of some type of uh of hunting somewhere instead of just dividing amongst yourselves you really need to unite to fight that and it's a shame yeah. it's happening that way Well, folks, I hope you're enjoying this new way of looking at rabbit hunting, hunting with dogs, hunting with beagles. I remember when I first found out that beagles were the go-to rabbit dog. And, you know, of course, with pretty much zero background in hunting, uh, I was kind of surprised by that. I guess I always just thought beagles were kind of a uh, family pet. But turns out they are the go-to breed for rabbit hunting. And uh, you're learning about that right now. But a lot of rabbit hunters, I imagine, do not own beagles. In fact, they probably don't rabbit hunt near as much as Todd and Brad do. Uh, but when they do get out, they probably are pretty much on their own. Maybe they got like a bird dog or something that they turn loose on a, on a brush pile or something like that. But I'm going to guess that most people are hunting rabbits uh, just if they happen to see one out and about or they go tromping around on a brush pile and get one to squirt out of the pile and they can uh, uh, hopefully uh, bag a rabbit or two or maybe they're out uh, hunting for uh, another species and they see one uh, that's probably what most rabbit hunting uh, has has to deal with and so I kind of wanted to give you a tip of the day that that would work in that realm. Now again, I have not done a ton of rabbit hunting in my time, but uh, I have done some. I've had some success. And a uh, couple of, of tips I have for you if you are hunting rabbits without a dog are these. First of all, I have been told and I have noticed myself, just from my own observations in the woods, that uh, closer towards last light are when rabbits really start showing up. Uh, now, that doesn't mean you can't, you know, bag a rabbit during the middle of the day or anything like that, but they just seem to be a little bit more comfortable uh, being out and about where you can see them. Now, you got to be careful, though. Some states have different shooting hour rules for rabbits. For instance, uh, Illinois, you got to cut off right at sunset. You don't get that little extra half an hour uh, to hunt them. So you got to be paying attention to that. But if you hunt later in the day, it just seems that rabbit activity picks up a little bit. So if you don't have a dog, that's really important because otherwise they hide so tight to cover that you'll never see them. And uh, the other uh, tip that I have is to always keep an eye out for rabbits while you are hunting other game species. I just mentioned this a few seconds ago, but uh, I've all the rabbits that I've either bagged or someone's bagged while I've been with them have been while pheasant hunting. Uh, you just never know when one's going to pop out, but if you kind of have that in your mind, uh, you know, keep keep an eye on the ground a little bit more. 
Also, though, you need to be careful of gun safety. We mentioned that in this episode. But if you're, whenever you're shooting at a target that is on the ground and you're hunting with dogs like you would be with pheasant or quail hunting, uh, you need to make sure your dog is, is clear from your line of fire uh, before you uh, uh, get overly tempted by that delicious looking rabbit and throw caution to the wind you can't do it you got to make sure you're careful but head out there in those uh those low those lower light conditions of course still got to be legal shooting light but uh get out there uh when you can in that manner and then also um uh make sure that that uh you are keeping a uh, an eye out for them while you're out hunting other critters and make sure you're an opportunistic hunter and increase your chances of bagging rabbits even if you don't have dogs well that's your uh, tip of the day for, for rabbit hunting for me let's go ahead and get back to this episode with brad and todd from team lone oak Yeah, definitely. You know, we try to we, we try to view things only from our own context, our own preferences and and uh to me, you know, if somebody grew up hunting that way, man, that that's special. I mean it's special to them and and you know, that's what's supposed to make America uh special too, where we can all yep. still enjoy the things that are important to us and and uh especially within the realm of hunting, you know. Yeah, that's that's really important. Well, uh, one other th- one other thing here with with the dogs before we start switching here to some rabbit specific hunting gear. Um, are you training them to make the retrievals for you, or do they? Is it more of they kind of just uh, pinpoint where the down rabbit is, or you or you see the rabbit, you know, after you shoot it, or? Yeah, typically. Typically, the rabbit is, is out in front of the dogs, you know, most of the time. I think whether you're in, you're in uh, heavy cover or whether you're in wide open cover, the rabbit is typically in front of the dogs a decent little bit. So typically, when you're, you're, you're on your post there, you stand there waiting for the rabbit to come back through. When you uh, um, shoot or harvest that rabbit, the dogs are behind it. So typically, what we do is, uh, or what most rabbit hunters do, is you go up there and, and you get the rabbit. And um, usually, you, you give them a command of dead rabbit. And once they, they come up there to where that rabbit is, either they're going to see it and smell it in your hand, you show it to them, or either they're going to run out of track to run, and they're going to know that that, that rabbit's dead. Hmm. Yeah, and that's then interesting. You, uh, then you, uh, you, know, you go from there off to, to find another one. But um, um, typically with that, uh, I, you know, if you shoot at a rabbit, I mean, it happens probably several, several times a year. It happens where somebody shoots at a rabbit, and, and they don't get enough um, penetration to, to – take the rabbit down and, and uh, the dogs will catch a rabbit. So I've had them have them do that. And that's when you either got to get to them so they don't tear it all to pieces or I do have one dog that will protect it. And <laughs> she will, she will uh, have it there for you to, when you go get her, you, you look on it. And I, I run GPS on my, my dogs. I have tracking collars with GPS and training on the, on the collar. So I can look and see where that dog is. If, if they, they run down through there, somebody shoots and they run down through there and they cut off, typically either that rabbit's gone in a hole or a hollow somewhere, or typically that dog has it in her mouth. Yeah, that's that's yeah. Uh, really interesting there. The And I, I definitely want to get into your mention there on the GPS collars because I think that's an important thing that people understand with tracking dogs like this. Um, <clears throat> you know, there's definitely bird dog hunters out there that use use gps on their dogs for sure but but uh 
I think it's much more important with just the nature of how hounds are. They, they like to, they like to run, and especially how you got, you guys are hunting them where the dogs probably get out of sight a little bit, uh, to some extent mm-hmm. too. That's really, mm-hmm. that's really important. So we'll, we'll come back to that here in just a second. Um, another thing here that I'm sure both you guys get a little nervous about when you're hunting, especially when you're bringing in other people. And I imagine you're pretty selective with, with who you, uh, end up being okay with, uh, joining your, uh, hunting crew, um, and the reason I bring this up is because this same thing always goes in my mind when I'm hunting with my dogs, dog safety. Uh, and obviously that can be in the field hazards, you know, you can get a dog ripped up on a fence or something or, a, you know, bad patch of thorns or something. But the thing I'm usually worried about is when I'm taking somebody new hunting with me, you know, are they going to wait to see uh, when they see that you know, pheasant flush, are they going to wait to make sure that that's a pheasant flushing and not my dog <laughs> busting through, <laughs> through the brush? And especially um, because usually when we shoot rabbits around here, just because we don't have a ton of cover for rabbits, you know, we have so much ag that a lot of the the rabbit type covers has just, I mean, not that our population for rabbits is, is hurting per se, but um, we, we just don't have enough rabbit covered to where rabbit hunting really takes off around here um but so what i'm saying here is usually when we shoot rabbits when we're pheasant hunting and and uh you know a dog will will bust a rabbit out of a a pile or something like that while while we're looking for pheasants and whenever somebody shoots at a rabbit while i'm hunting with them it always makes me nervous because you're i mean the muzzle of your gun is pointing right down at the ground right where your dogs are and so that's that's how the entire time is <laughs> for you guys when you're running and with 10 dogs is that something that you're really stressed about the whole time especially you todd since they're your dogs um i mean with that there most of the time we're hunting with the same uh crew of guys same group of guys and and with rabbit hunting i mean typically you're hunting along the dogs aren't really making any noise unless they're potentially cold trailing or they're actually running um or they might be in a check where the rabbits then then you know, diverted and, and double back over his track or squatted on him or something. They're waiting to jump him back up. But typically the dogs are packed up when they're, when they're running like it, dogs are packed up. And that, that's another reason that I'm not very fond and don't really like uh, shooting rabbits on the jump. Just like right. you said there, because when the jump first happens, all the dogs might not be in that same brush pile or whatever. And the rabbit shoots out. You don't know where the dogs are or anything. It's right. very, uh, very dangerous and i've heard some some uh, horror stories about that where you know people have stuck pellets and dogs and different things like that and and i definitely don't want that to happen and uh yeah that that definitely would be a concern that's one of the reasons we typically let the dogs run as well um as we like to hear the chases yeah yeah that's a good point uh definitely safety is is so important and uh you know making sure your muzzle's in the right place is always important, but, but especially when you're shooting at the ground where your, your dogs mm-hmm. are at, that's, yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Okay. Let's talk a little bit of gear here. Brad, what kind of a uh, gun are you uh, taking into the rabbit field with you? I got me a 20 gauge 1187 Remington 1187. Okay. Okay, yeah, man. It's a, one of my favorite guns I own. Sure. And what, what size of load are you shooting with that? I shoot the uh, Winchester Super X's number six. Okay, and you feel like yeah, that's those are that's the magic those are number. High there, brass, huh? yeah, high brass shells, and I mean, knock on wood, you you get a good shot on them with those shells. They typically don't go too far. Okay, that's 
That's good to hear. So is there like a minimum gauge guys are are pushing for or a maximum gauge too, I guess I could say? Yeah, I mean the, the, the twelve gauge from my experience, I mean, especially if the rabbit and we hunt a lot of territory where when you get a shot the rabbit's gonna be close to you. Sure. Um and with a twelve gauge, I mean I've seen guys I've seen them gut the rabbit on the shot. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So we 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 shoot twenty gauges. Uh, we hunted with a fellow last weekend. Actually, was shooting a four ten. Hmm. Um. So, but yeah, I mean, I think the twenty gauge is a sweet spot there. And uh, yeah, I was I think a sixteen gauge or twenty eight gauge. Even I've even I, I've even contemplated shooting a twenty eight gauge if I could get my hands on one. But uh, yeah, twenty gauge where you know where I, where I like to be in that situation. Yeah. Imagine part of that too is especially right now with <laughs> basically the uh factor that ammunition does not exist right mm-hmm. now. <laughs> yeah, <you're> right. <laughs> <laughs> you probably don't want to be shooting something with a real odd, you know, gauge right. to it like a like a twenty eight or a sixteen. It might be real tough to, to find ammo. Uh that's good to know. We we can't find yeah, we can't find any ammo around here. Uh yeah. It's it's hard. I, I lucked out. A buddy of mine found a, went into a store the other day, and they had just put a bunch of cases of. Uh, I guess they had a fresh load come in the morning. That morning, they put a bunch out, so he was able to grab me a couple boxes because I was down to my last eight shells a couple weekends ago. Yeah. Yeah. So I was I was like I got to be real selective when I go out here today. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, luckily, luckily my buddy Jeffrey hooked me up with a couple boxes that he found the other day. So that's good. Yeah. Uh, the guy who's normally on here with me, uh, Brandon. Uh, this makes me think it might be even worse out by you guys right now because he was toward the tail end of a uh, rifle season there in Delaware. And, uh, he it was the same thing. He was, they have in Delaware now the straight wall rifles that they're allowed to use for deer. And he shoots a 450 Bushmaster. And, uh, mm-hmm. I think he was, he was saying the same thing. He was down to about 10 rounds of uh ammunition you know so he's like better make sure my scope is on and uh <laughs> make every shot count so Absolutely. yeah that's that's uh that's a that's a reality right now for sure for sure yeah sure it is so you said that you said 1170 right remington 1170 that's a that's a semi-auto correct yeah 1187 yeah it's or 1187 yeah that's right yeah yeah okay now do some people use pump guns or is it just is that too slow of a reaction for for just the nature of rabbit hunting no i mean you can use pump uh it's just my personal preference i I like that automatic i i I don't know i bought that gun probably 10 12 years ago and i just just instinct for me is to pull the trigger again not to pump one time right right so uh but yeah we, we hunt with guys that shoot double barrels we hunt with guys that shoot pumps it's all personal preference sure yeah, I suppose you know as long as you can hit them with that first shot, then that follow-up shot doesn't doesn't have yeah, to be. Yeah, first shot's so. usually gonna be your best one anyway. So right, right. Yeah, one of my first guns I ever started hunting with was a single barrel uh, Harrison Richardson. I got it in a gun case right beside me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was that was my first squirrel gun, man. Was that H and R four ten, and I couldn't hit anything with that thing, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When you know you only got one shot, sometimes you're a little bit better shot. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yep, you got that right. For sure, that's like uh, hunting with a muzzle loader. You better make it count. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's talk some more here with, in the line of gear. Uh, for 
pheasant hunting, you know, all you really need to worry about as far as a game pouch of some sort goes is just what's built into your vest. I know some guys use like the, the belt rings or whatever that they'll, they'll loop around. I think it's around the neck of the bird while you're walking, but do you guys carry some bigger game pouches since uh, you could stack up, you know, eight, 10 rabbits or, um, you just kind of go the same way with what's on the vest or do you wear something around your waist or does that get tangled in the thorns too much? What are you doing for that? Typically you have a uh, game pouch on your, your vest or your game coat you're, you're using. Um, typically what, what we do is, uh, um, is, uh, put it in our, in our pouch in our game vest or coat. And typically with, with a uh, rabbit and you're not knowing a, a lot about it, a lot of these things they, they carry uh ticks and fleas and stuff even through oh, the winter yeah. time you don't have a it's a kind of a mild winter you know so i mean about every i'd say at least four out of five rabbits you kill once that that rabbit is uh deceased the, the fleas start coming off of it when you pick it up so we typically uh use some type of uh say plastic grocery bag food line or walmart i i have a bunch of uh yellow bags that, that the paper man puts the paper in and I put the rabbit in and, and close it up and put it in my game vest that way. It helps with the, uh, um, fleas and also it depends on how, how, you know, much a rabbit is tore up and typically it's not too bad, but that, that's what we typically do. That's a great point. And you know what? I have seen that, uh, two pheasant seasons ago, a buddy of mine shot a, uh, shot a rabbit. And man, the fleas were just on them instantly. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you're mm-hmm. saying, it was yeah. it was late season too. It was it was probably January, and uh, the fleas were just they were on them instantly. Yep, yeah. And depending on where you're hunting at too, I mean, uh, the old timers back in the day, my uncle would always hang them up a tree if he had however he had a few in his in his vest because typically uh, you were yeah. coming back by, we'll just hang them in a tree and just come back through and collect them as you make your way back to the truck. <laughs> yeah, that's a good tip. I'm glad I asked that for sure. I didn't even think, I for, totally forgot about that aspect of it, but that's, yeah, a, just that's a big don't, deal. Don't forget what tree you put him in. <laughs> yeah. The owls won't mind if you do though. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like that. Uh, so uh, you kind of mentioned this earlier in the episode, you guys talked a little bit about chaps or I imagine uh, you got to be kind of choosy with uh, kind of kind of pants you're wearing since you're spending so much much time going in the thorniest nastiest uh some of that green briar stuff man that stuff will tear you up um are you are you guys uh wearing chaps most of the time while you're doing this like like logging chaps or something or are you just wearing like some heavy duty canvas pants um there are several companies out now that actually make a pretty good quality clothing i mean back <laughs> back in the day when i first started when i was a, a young teenager 13 14 years old it w- wasn't any good quality boots you know you didn't have a lot of good insulated boots you didn't have any good insulated clothes i would just wear the old uh and like a pair of ll bean duck boots back in the day they were waterproof and all but they weren't <laughs> very tough and I, I would wear uh, army fatigues oh and man by the end of rabbit season or whatever you would just have this big horseshoe at the bottom of your pants where you don't warm out around your boot <laughs> after a few years of that I eventually uh, graduated into i don't know if you remember uh bill boatman used to have a catalog like like the old bass pro or cabela's catalog where you could order stuff out of there for dog supplies i moved on to use his chaps and they weren't very durable and uh nowadays most people are using like uh dan's or the company called nightlight and um i just discovered a company um stone creek um okay 
they just came out that I used to wear wick hunting clothes all the time, which is basically briar proof clothing. And, and uh, I think they actually went out of business for retirement and nobody took them over and this stone Creek took them over and they're about the best briar proof stuff that I've, I've seen. I got a pair of their chaps and they've hold, held up pretty well all season long. So I'm looking to probably invest in another, another set of days, but typically we, we I just wear a pair of, of good, uh, um, jeans underneath their comfortable jeans a pair of chaps and i have a uh, dan's hunting gear jacket that i wear that's that's briar proof and the, one of the most essential parts is get you a good pair of leather gloves hmm. that way the briars won't get you but so bad yeah that's a great tip i imagine if somebody's a true greenhorn and they go out there totally unprepared oh, yeah. they're, they're donating blood <laughs> pretty yeah, quick yeah yeah <laughs> pretty tethered if they try to follow us through where we're going most of the time yeah um one of the hardest things i have to keep up with is a good pair of uh boots i like a i like a good lace-up leather boot and uh, most of the guys you, know, you ask them that they, they've actually uh gone over to wearing rubber boots like the muck boots yeah. or the um lacrosse or whatever but i think a lot of those guys too are probably hunting some swamp bottoms and creek bottoms and stuff where it's a lot of water at yeah and uh, typically we don't do that but i like a good pair of like leather boots and about the most i can get out of a pair is about two years because holes come all in them and everything the leather gets all tore up in them but uh yeah you definitely definitely want to go out there and, and have some uh cover on, on your any part of your skin that's visible and legs and arms and everything for sure yeah that's i'm really glad i asked these questions because i would have never thought of it and you're right on the leather boots i love using uh like lacrosse neoprene rubber for deer hunting but man Mm -hmm. i'm telling you what you get you touch those babies to a thorn and they (laughs) they cut like a a deer knife Mm -hmm. on you know a skin i mean they're just they it opens them up right away i would not want to wear those to into all that green bar and stuff like that not at all that's good. That's a good point. All right, let's talk a little um, uh, dog-specific gear here. So you talked about the radio collars. Are you putting those on all of your dogs, uh, or just the ones that are maybe the the you know your your newest dogs in the pack that you're not quite sure? How, you know, they're maybe a little unpredictable, or does everybody get one? Um, everybody gets one. Um, and, and basically I, like I said, when I started growing up, it was no technology, no electronics. So I, I've been very fortunate. I've, I've had very few dogs over the years. Um, I probably can count on one hand that, that have, have, uh, been, uh, not been deer proof where they, they will run a deer or some off game. Sure. Um, I, I graduated from that and I ended up getting, uh, some of just the, um, shock collars, um, yeah. where just, just electronic shock it wasn't any tracking or anything and i used them for years and and it was crazy i think i had a uh a six collar uh uh tritronic six collar shock system and a, and a tritronics three collar shock system just to have it on all my dogs and uh, and the majority of the time um it's just for them to get their attention because you know the dogs get hunting and all they get a little stubborn they don't want to come and i would, I would tone them with it if not necessary i would just bump them with it a little bit to get their attention i wouldn't like lay lay down on them but i would just momentarily bump them and tone them to get them to come especially at the end of the day when they're a little hard-headed but uh the uh garmin since they came out it's just been man it's just been a heaven sent because uh really it, to me it's just a peace of mind as we talked about yeah. earlier um, the, the, the money you spend on the dogs and, and the money and time you put in it throughout the year to keep them healthy and to keep them trained and everything. And you go in the woods and you, you put them out there. It's just a peace of mind to know where that dog is all the time. And, 
and and stuff. I mean, you know, you figure the 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 tracking equipment all definitely isn't cheap or anything. So you're probably looking at what whatever dog, whether it's a paper dog or a gray dog, whatever. You, you put a dollar value on that and add that collar to it, it adds up pretty quickly going through the woods. So it's just a peace of mind for me. I, I just care too much about my dogs now. Now with that technology and all here to turn them out without something like that. Yeah, that's a that's a great way to look at it for sure. It is a, it is an investment. It is a something that's super valuable to you. I mean, you know, you can't. Of course, people who just own pets know that you can't just replace a pet. And but also just from a training aspect, I mean. You know, those dogs, by the point, by the time you have them out in the field, they're a specialized hunter in of themselves. And you got a lot riding on them just from, from a time standpoint, too. That's a good point. Yep, yeah, yeah. Just, just keeping up with them. You, know, you get you get out there and you get two or three miles away from the truck and you're trying to get them up at the end of the day to follow you out of the woods. Um, typically, they do it pretty good. I don't even have to uh, leash them up or anything. Typically, they'll, they'll come on, but you might have to turn them a few times to get their attention to come to you. But typically, you know, you don't want to get to the truck and i got you know eight out of nine dogs and i can go back and get that one or try to find that one so it tells you right there where it is and you're ready to go just look at the, the screen and know they're there with you yeah for sure well uh as far as what the dogs are wearing i imagine you know you're trying to keep them from getting torn up real bad too on all these briars and and thorns and everything do you put like any kind of like for lack of a better term here like an undercarriage vest on them or or a uh uh, any kind of padding or, or chest protection or anything? I, I do not know. I mean, with, with the stuff that these dolls go through, that their uh, the ears get torn and tattered. Uh, I got several dogs where if you look at the end of their tails right now, um, they, they look like you, if you hold up your uh, uh, pinky finger, that's what they look like. You don't have any hair on the end of their tails from going through the, the briars. And, uh, you know, basically after every, every run, I bring them home and, and feed them up, and definitely the next day I'm going down there and, and inspecting them more, and I would on the average day of going down there and, and, and caring for them. I, I check them out most of the time. Uh, you got a couple dogs, their eyes are matted from trash getting in their eyes and stuff. You got to get that out of it, just just that in general. And like I said, the ears get, get torn up pretty good. Their uh, tails get torn up pretty good. Try to keep their uh, toenails clipped good so you don't have any busted toenails or anything like that. It would hinder them. Um, but that's typically it. I mean, if they get really bad, bad, I would get like um, you can go like to your tractor supply store or something like that, local co-op store, and get like a bag bomb or something put on there to help with the healing. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, they're definitely a, a rabbit dog. Uh, is probably the most tore up hunting dog there is. Um, even with some deer hounds and all, most most of the deer hounds they're gonna get out of there and they're going to run in some more open stuff where the rabbit's going to stay in the uh, the thick stuff all the time. It's not going to be like a deer and he's not going to get out there and he open and try to put space between him and the dog. The rabbit's going to stay in the thickest stuff he can stay in most of the time. That's what the dogs have to run through. It's really good to know. You got something, if you're going to hunt rabbits, you got to be willing to uh, put the time in after the hunt too and, you know, give each dog a check down and look for any kind of yeah, yeah. issue. <laughs> They're not very pretty uh, during during hunting season. They don't have hair <laughs> on their nose, their tails, their ears. I mean, that's just a you know life of a, of a rabbit dog. I, I've seen some guys say if they aren't bleeding, they aren't hunting. So I mean, yeah. you, know, they, you don't want them like having gouges and all that on them. But the ears and nose and tails are definitely going to take some of you. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That's where the that's where the rabbits are. And, you know, it might sound kind of almost cruel to somebody listening, but I'm telling you, you when you when you hunt with a dog. You learn really quickly that this is 
what they want to do. I mean, they are, my dogs are almost in like slight depression the rest of the year that they aren't hunting. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, they're they, bred to do it. They're definitely bred to right. do it. Um, exactly. I have, I have a, uh, um, what I, I have a, two trucks. I have one like my everyday driver and I have another truck that I hunt out of and I can start my daily driver up every day. But when I start that hunting truck up, whether it's just to run down to the store to get gas or run an errand or something, when that thing fires up, the dogs are barking and oh, yeah. the going you know that's just the nature of the beast yep yep my dogs uh at least my male my female she's not as bright as my male my she's a she's a a poodle britney mix and my male's purebred britney but um uh when he sees me put on my hunting pants i mean it might just be (laughs) go out to you know trim branches in the yard or something man he thinks he's going hunting but (laughs) (laughs) they 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 know for sure Uh, another thing here just real quick for dog gear uh you mentioned this a little bit and this is something i'm actually considering to extend my hunting season here in iowa where we do get a lot of snow and ice do you ever put like uh any of those boots or i guess they call them maybe more of a booty on uh any of your dog's feet just to help help keep them from getting their feet torn up and getting hobbled for a day or two uh, no sure don't sure, sure don't um um that's just something that that uh they, they, those booties would get tore up and I, my dogs would probably be high stepping because they're not used to it you know one of right. those type of funny videos you can see yeah the right yeah. Feet, but uh <laughs> no nothing like that i mean i have um I keep my dogs on concrete pins, so their their pads and nails are usually in pretty good shape um, sure. in that aspect. Yeah, that's 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 good to know. Yeah, I've wondered about that because that ice does get so jagged around here. That, yeah, yeah, I just don't run them like I said today. Even even if it wasn't raining or, or sleeting or icing outside, I probably would not take them because of the ground is so icy and crusty. Those crystals, man, they just cut their pads up so right. bad. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's uh that's good to know there for sure. Well guys, we've uh I think we've covered this pretty good here, how to how to hunt rabbits with, with dogs. There's probably so much more that I, the only way I could really understand it and the listeners can understand it is to give it a try themselves. And uh, I know I definitely want to want to hunt this way sometime. It just looks like a ton of fun, especially when you mix in, you know, a bunch of hunting buddies together and, and uh, watching the dogs work and everything for sure. But before we go here, uh, Team Lone Oak, uh, you guys have a growing, uh, I mean, really quickly growing YouTube presence. A uh, lot of content up there. That's a lot of fun to watch. It's really diverse. It's not just rabbits. There's a lot of deer stuff up there too. Uh, can you, uh, uh, Brad? Can you kind of give me the rundown on how Lone Oak came together, and then just you know how people can find you, what what they can expect to see coming up in the future? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, Todd and I, like I said earlier in this thing, we started hunting together. We met in 2005, I think it was, or 2006, and we've been hunting together like the last 12. 12- for 13 years and uh we talked off and on about filming hunts doing this that and the other and i think the uh you know the popularity of the youtube hunting has just exploded over the past several years oh yeah and, for uh, sure. so you know we got we got our gopros and we got our cameras and we decided we'd give it a shot and we had no idea i mean we just we just started the instagram account and the youtube channel in the summer of 2020 and uh we had no idea it was going to take off like it did um it really has kind of blown our minds that, that we've gotten that many views, that many subscribers that quickly. And uh, But yeah, the name uh, Team Lone Oak just comes from the little area 
where we live out here in uh, the Montpelier area of Hanover County, Virginia. It's a little area called Lone Oak. Okay. And that's uh, Todd's named his kennels, Lone Oak Kennels. I think he's got the hat on right now. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah the Lone, Lone Oak Kennels hat there. Um, but yeah, yeah, things are really, you know, it's, it really has blown our mind how fast things have taken off. And, and like you said, we have a, a lot of, uh, the content's pretty diverse. We have everything from bow hunting for deer, uh, black powder hunting for deer, the, the dog chasing with the deer, and obviously the rabbit hunts that we've been talking about. And then him and I are we're, we're diehard uh, spring turkey hunters as well. So awesome. we'll have a lot of, yeah, a lot of April and May, we'll have a lot of turkey hunting content out there. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know exactly how many videos we put up so far, but I mean, it, it's definitely, it's been a lot of fun for me personally, as far as, uh, you know, I think this past season of deer hunting, I think I've looked forward to hunting more than I, than I have in a long time, just knowing I'd be able to film that and share that. And, yeah. And a lot of the positive support that we've gotten. I mean, I've had people you know hit us up on YouTube from so many different States across the country. I mean, I've had people hit me up from California to New York, people I never thought would watch a, a Virginia deer hunting video. So, yeah, it's been, been very, very cool to see. Yeah, definitely. And uh, people can find that just by looking up Team Lone Oak on YouTube. Isn't that correct? Yes. Yeah, all one word. Okay, all one word, Team Lone yeah. Oak. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes for this episode. Um, you guys have any uh, any shirts or hats coming out anytime soon? Is that in the works? Uh, no, yeah, I mean, we've talked about it, but we really don't have anything set coming out. We kind of wanted to let the channel and, and, and everything grow first before we really decided to go that route. Yeah, definitely. Well, when you do get something, you know, the, a lot of the guys we interview here on, on, uh, first gen hunter, uh, they, they have something coming out in the works and I'll definitely be, uh, be, uh, looking to make my own order once, uh, you guys yeah, got something definitely. out there, be happy to represent you guys. Todd, Brad, yeah, sure. thank you guys so much for coming on today. It's just been a been a lot of fun talking with you and uh, getting to learn about something that <laughs> I know so little about, and uh, really is kind of a uh, almost a cultural thing there on the East Coast that I think is really important for uh, all hunters all around the country to know about and and uh, to appreciate. You know, kind of like Todd, you were saying. You know, it's it's important for us to get to know each other's uh, way of doing things and to support each other. You know, what's what's legal is is worth supporting. You know, as far as as far as hunting goes, I think. Absolutely, I call it you know, the uh, the the army of orange. You know, everybody needs to support themselves, and you need uh, the more numbers. You know, like yeah. uh, Brad has two young kids i have a young son so hopefully we'll get some of the youth in there and get more more uh, kids and other uh, first-time hunters involved anything to, to help that would be great yeah and i i do I, I do i messed up um it's our instagram is team lone oak all one word the the youtube channel is uh team lone oak is three separate words so i did screw that up but uh oh, okay no problem i'll uh, yeah. <laughs> i'll be sure like i said i'll be sure to put links for for those in uh in on the show notes for this episode make sure uh if you're if you're listening you uh take the time to to click on those uh they're they're featured with every episode so anyone that we bring on uh try to try to direct it their way so you can uh, give them a follow and, and check out their content as well and, and most importantly learn from them there's a lot to be learned of course just in this episode but but even from you know viewing their videos and 
and seeing how things are done for sure. So, yeah, make sure you uh, yeah. you guys link up with them on Instagram and uh, give them a subscribe on YouTube. Make sure you like their videos, interact, leave comments. We love uh, all of us guys who put this content out there. We love hearing from you guys. It's It really uh, does make our week uh, to, to see the, the stuff you guys have to say. And, and um, you know, it's just yeah, fun, fun to interact absolutely. with other hunters. So, yeah, make sure you guys do that. And uh, even though he's not here, make sure you guys head over to thehuntfishlife.com so you can check out Brandon and his team at Hunt Fish Life. Make sure you head over to their store, get some of their hats, t-shirts, sweatshirts, decals, all that good stuff. And then, of course, head over to firstgenhunter.com, and uh, you'll you'll see all the links to the podcast, of course. Uh, some of the YouTube videos I have, although I know I keep saying it several episodes in a row, I need to get back on YouTube and upload some new videos. And I still have all my deer season stuff. I got some small game stuff. I got some pheasant hunting stuff. I got a ton to sort through. But you know, maybe I'll be able to when I'm cooped up some more this winter. I'll be able to get to some more of that and, and get that up on the channel. And then, of course, uh, any articles that I have up there as well. But we really, truly appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, make sure you uh, subscribe to us if you haven't yet. Leave a, leave a good review and, and uh, comment for us. We really appreciate that. And uh, until next time, take care and take someone hunting.